With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind, I'm Paul John Dykes and today, once again, delighted to be joined by Natasha Miko and Lawrence Connolly. Lawrence, you're looking very dashing today with a nice orange background and plenty to discuss. Uh, the managerial situation is still a, a massive point of discussion. Are we going to be lo- losing another leader in Scott Brown? Um, the Derby aftermath, what's happening with Albiana Yeti and much more. But I'm going to throw a wee span on our works first of all. We've spoken a lot about managerial possibilities, haven't we? We've spoken about um, Harkin and Mareshka, Martinez and Maloney. What else? We've spoken about Mark Bowen and Mark Hughes. There's been a few others, Ralph Ranić and Jesse Marsh. Um, and I think we can write quite a few of those off, particularly Ralph Ranić, because um, it looks as though he's going to be the Germany manager. But... Um, there are rumours flying around, uh, we've heard the names of Chris Wilder, Dominic Torrent, and that name, Roy Keane, doesn't seem to be going away. Uh, now, I shared that, that uh, in our WhatsApp group earlier, and every single person said, no, I'm out, I'm not buying that. What do you think, uh, Natasha, the reaction would be if that indeed is going to be the managerial appointment, along with Fergal Harkin as the director of football? My initial reaction is disappointed um, and I think that's probably indicative of the support as a whole. Um, I recently put a poll out on Twitter just to sort of gather views on Roy Keane when he went to, to the favourite for the role and 75% 
said they wouldn't be happy. 25% said they would be. Um, poll sample, for example, is around 4,000. Um, but I think that gives you an indicative idea of where the Celtic support are thinking. For me personally, Keane is slightly too much of the same of what we've just seen. Mm. Um, his managerial record isn't what I would want for a candidate to be considered for the Celtic job. Um, and I think it's a sidestep, to be honest. We're all seeing this now as an opportunity for Celtic to modernise and push forward, um, grow, start achieving European ambition again. Um, and to me, Keane's a sidestep. And I don't see how he is going to radically change what we have seen over the last season. Um, so, yeah, if that was to be the case, initial reaction disappointed. Um, mm. But hopefully, perhaps if we bring in a director of football like Fergal Harkin to come along with them, hopefully that can, um, yeah, that can be a bit of positivity um, rather than just Keane coming in on, on his own. Now, I'm looking at the reactions that we're getting on the comments. I just want to make clear that it's certainly not something that I want to see at Celtic Football Club but what we're trying to do on Axom is to speak through all the different options available to Celtic and we'll talk about the gossip and the rumour I think Jungle Line makes an excellent point nobody has a clue really um, yeah you're probably right I think um, every so often you know a source comes out with a, a nugget of information and I wish I had listened to them when they told me that Brendan Rodgers was going to be Celtic's manager because he was sitting at about 33-1 when I was given that information but I don't bet so I didn't buy uh, yeah, David Bradley, I'm not going to bring your comment up, but uh, I think you mean that in the nicest possible terms. He disagrees that Roy Keane should come to Celtic, but his name is constantly linked to the club. I'm, pre- I'm looking at the situation, Lawrence, I'm thinking Fergal Harkin seems to be a shoo You know, he seems to be the guy that's in as director of football, and we would expect the director of football to be announced first. So we've got the new CEO. We know that he's going to be in place, Dominic Mackay. I would expect pretty soon the announcement that Fergal Harkin is going to be the director of football. Yeah, it, it looks like that's a done deal. Uh, manager Roy Keane, who would his assistant be? I think I joked on at the weekend, you know, Harkin, Keane, Mareska, but it, it was a joke. I can't believe that. <laughs> Sidham, Keane, but, but there you go. The big question would be, I guess, Lawrence, who would you know Roy Keane's assistant be? Now, he's been out the manager's chair for a decade, I know that he followed Martin O'Neill uh, to Nottingham Forest, Republic of Ireland. He was an assistant to Paul Lambert at Aston Villa for a spell. But who would Roy Keane's assistant be? I mean, would it uh, take the sting out of the announcement if Damien Duff was the coach, for example? I know that he seems to be quite popular amongst the Celtic support. I, I don't think so. I, I think we've been looking at someone young, exciting, the different brand of football. And as Natasha said, it, Keane seems like a sidestep. It's done tough just can, can backwards again. I, I think with Keane's track record, when he buys players, it's people he knows. It, would they take off mm. you know, from playing with him, you know, for Ireland and mm. EPL together, but who would they take? Because mm-hmm. surely we're not going to... Uh, Pick the manager's assistant again. Should we hope we'll get the manager pick his assistant this time? You would hope so. You would hope that we would uh, there would be a break from that, Natasha. One big thing that I think uh, is going to change uh, in a big way, obviously, is the recruitment aspect, and that that's the reason why we're bringing in a director of football because we really need to look at the recruitment. This is going to drop into another subject that we'll talk about at some point during the bulletin, uh, and the fact that Albiana Yeti dropped out of the top twenty. 
um, at the weekend. Um, I made the point to Kevin yesterday before the bulletin. He's never started the game against Rangers. So he was one of our marquee signings, if you like, in the summer, coming in. Big name signing, big fee attached to him. And, you know, he's never started against um, the team that we were meant to be up against for the, the league title and who's obviously knocked us off our perch. So the recruitment is going to be absolutely key to this appointment, isn't it? It is. Um, and if we keep the people in place who are making the recruitment decisions at the moment, then we're not going to see any positive change. Like you've touched on with Ayeti, we can't afford to make more signings like that. And recently, more often than not, the signings have turned out like that. So if we're looking at what needs changed, recruitment is absolutely key. Um, and even if Keane isn't going to be the manager that everyone is excited about, then perhaps Harkin can fix one of the key issues, which is recruitment. Um, he's apparently, that's his strong set. Um, apparently he has a great wealth of knowledge of players across the UK and Europe. Apparently he's great in the transfer market. So if we're looking at that, bringing a director of football like Harkin would be a significant step forward and it would solve the key issue of, of recruitment. But mm. who's making the decisions right now is the issue. Like who, whose decision was Liam Shaw? That's what I always want to know. Um, so the quicker we can get someone like Harkin in and the quicker he can start making t- decisions, the better. You know, that, that's a great question. Who is making these decisions? And um, I, I was thinking about this during the week. Although, you know, we've got Peter Lowell standing down. Um, I think it'll be about 18 years that he'll be in position by then and taken over as Dominic Mackay. Do you think there'll be a process of a crossover um, and I don't just mean Dominic Mackay being involved in the, the decision-making process just now. Obviously, he's going to have to work with the director of football. But even after that date where Peter Lowell stands down, do you reckon there'll still be a period before and after where these guys are working together? It's such a long time to be in position just to say, there's a folder, on you go. I Natasha, so. I'll, come to you, I'll come to yourself first on that one. It's difficult. It's difficult. And, you know, when you are making appointments at that, you know, that sort of level, that CEO level, they don't tend to be made overnight. Um, board appointments don't tend to be made overnight. There's usually someone lined up for it. And there usually is a period of transition um, in this handover. You know, any business just sees that as, you know, business continuity sense. Um, hopefully something similar has been going on beside behind the scenes at Celtic. Um I believe that Mackay has been lined up for a while, so hopefully there has been some sort of handover process between him and Lawwell because it's important. Um, the wholesale changes that are required during the summer, you know, aren't insignificant. We're replacing the CEO, we're replacing the manager, perhaps the first team coach, um, the assistant manager, half the squad. So much change is needed um, that it's almost going to be like a fresh start when we start again. Um, mm. And there needs to be that element of handover um, and some sort of stabilising presence. Now, I'm sure we'll come on to that when we talk about Scott Brown, um, but who that stabilising presence is going to be um, remains to be seen now. Yeah. Lauren, sorry I interrupted, but before I come to you, I love the humour that you get in the comments section. And Robert Arbuckle, is Lawrence getting his passport photo taken? Um, good question. <laughs> you, you don't have to answer that, but you know, Rob, Robert's thrown it out there, Lawrence. No, no, it's not for a passport, it's for a, a show after this, I'm on. So, yeah, just... Oh, a show after Axon? Is there yeah. such a thing? I mean, we all know, obviously, Natasha was on Football Focus on Saturday, looking ahead to the, the Rangers game. Um, but yes, it reminds me, remember the, the photo booth that the Baldy Man was in, Gregor Fisher? You'll remember this, Lawrence. Yep. Remember that, the Hamlet cigars? I remember him when he had hair. 
<laughs> well, you are a wee bit older, but you know, it is, I'm looking at the situation. Uh, we've spoken about a lot of managers, Lawrence. How interesting is it? No matter who we speak about, we are getting the similar types of comments coming through from the Celtic fan base. Unhappy, you know. I don't think there's anybody we've spoken about that there's been universal delight coming through from from the Celtic fans, is there? I don't think so. Uh, you know, if information and it's to be keen. You would think there's going to be a level of investment. Uh, is, is, what was it, Sunderland and Ipswich? I think 10 years ago was his last mm-hmm. manager. I don't remember him developing anyone. It was Sunderland initially pretty good, but he tained some Man United guys with him, didn't he? Uh, there was a huge uh, overhaul in, in player um, recruitment and players leaving that club. I do remember that. And he got, I mean, he got Sunderland promoted. Uh, but then obviously uh, they didn't have a great time of it when they were in the, the Premiership or the EPL. Um, I mean, I keep going back to his managerial record. 181 games managed. Three seasons of that was in a Championship. One season in the Premier League. Not a great win record. And then he's gone and obviously become an assistant for Martin O'Neill and Paul Lambert. I think he's a cracking pundit. You know, I love listening to him and watching him on the box. Um, I love the fact that um, he's a Celtic. He's obviously got that Celtic connection, but that's not enough now, is it? It really isn't. Mm-hmm. But what I'm thinking from the the Celtic power brokers' perspective is, are they looking at Fergal Harkin to be the brains of the operation? Well, obviously they are. He's going to be looking at the youth setup, the recruitment. Um, is someone like King being brought in just as a just as a figurehead if there is such a thing in modern football and then you're you're really looking yeah. at a, a talented coaching staff because I can't see any other reason for bringing him in. Um, is yeah. that the appointment, Natasha, that they're looking at, right, we need a big name, we need the profile for the season tickets. Even then, is he the type of guy who would shift the season tickets? For, for me, the thing that is mitigating the concern about Keane is the presence of Harkin along with him, if that is the road we go down. Um you know, leave the important business decisions to someone like Harkin, the transfers, the recruitment, um, you know, even to an extent perhaps, you know, our tactics, our formation, our setup. Like you say, the brains behind it, maybe that is the role that Harkin is going to going to play. Um and that appeases me somewhat. Um and I think Keane then perhaps gets left. I know perhaps he might come in as manager, maybe more of a head coach, um, someone out on the training ground, someone on the touchline to fire the players up. And we've seen, you know, as a pundit, um, as a manager, as a player, that's certainly something that he's capable of. So maybe they see Keane more in that sort of role, um, with, like you say, Harkin being the brains behind it. For me, touching on the fact, is this going to be the marquee's, you know, appointment to, to get fans back on board? I don't think so. Um, you know, just judging by the reaction to you know fans across social media, no one is particularly excited at the thought of Roy Keane being our manager. Um, that's not the sort of marquee signing like a Hare or a Benitez or a Martinez would have would have got. You know, he's not a Brendan Rodgers. He's not any of those names I just mentioned. I think the overwhelming sense from the Celtic fans on that appointment would be disappointment. Mm. Um, so yeah, for me. Not the one if we're looking for a name to shift season books, but maybe the one to get a bit of fire and drive into the dressing room, which has clearly been missing for significant parts of this season, including at the weekend. Yeah, we'll come to the the weekend's game again. But there are so many different um, considerations. So we are looking at a situation. I know a couple of the the Celtic, a couple of the better Celtic sites picked up on some comments that I made the other day in relation to the incredible investment. 
and the Celtic coaching staff and playing staff moving into next season. That's come from um, a highly well-respected uh, source who is never wrong when they give us information. Um, now, part of that investment, and I'm going to go to a point being made by Jungle Lion, huge rebuilding job needs money, keen in. Uh, to bring young players through he's not in that mode uh, to bring young players through absolutely jungle line so I, th- I think it would be more of a short term uh, prospect to bring someone like Roy Keane in but the investment in the playing staff is going to be massive I mean Colin and I did a, a one off last Saturday bulletin where we looked through the entire squad and if you're going to be completely brutal about it uh, 18 players were going to be leaving Celtic this pre-season and I, you know, some of them were loan signings of course uh, and some of them were young fringe players but there was a whole load of first teamers in that, in that 18 that we mentioned so the, the, the rebuild is huge, the investment is going to be huge and yeah we will bring in a lot of money for players such as um, you know, Ayer if he's to go which I think he probably will Eduard, Christie you know, um, Rogic mm. and others. I mean, I'm going to bring up the point later on about Ayeti because yeah, I think Ayeti and Barkas are two players that, for me, probably should be playing just now so we can assess them. In any case, are they going to be part of the rebuild? Are we going to try and cut our losses on these players? Um, and we will obviously speak about uh, the Scott Brown scenario also. But with the uh, incredible investment in mind... This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. The, the reason for that, um, just to make this clear, the reason for that is the possibility of next season's league winners. The possibility, not the guarantee, that the league winners will go straight directly into the Champions League group stages. So it's really a gamble on getting into the Champions League group stages. And that will happen if the winner of this season's Champions League qualify for next season's Champions League based on um, the following season's Champions League based on their league position so obviously that there is there is a caveat to Celtic or Rangers uh, or whoever's going to win the league getting directly in but the gamble would be we invest big and we do it now to guarantee that we win the league next season so that the following season we're right into the Champions League so that, that's the gamble we're talking about. That's the investment that I was referring to previously, and that's the reason behind it. But 
having heard all that, and that fills me with, with some positivity, to then hear that there is a real possibility that Roy Keane might be the man who's going to be announced as a manager completely blows the wind out of my sails. Because I don't think that that is in keeping with you know Dominic Mackay coming in, fresh ideas, new approach, director of football, Fergal Harkin. All that seems great. I think that's the building blocks. And then it comes to the manager, Keane. That, the, the whole interest level just... Just falls like you know, like a house of cards for me personally. Um, am I writing him off uh, based on the fact that I personally don't like him as a manager or his style um, in terms of him being a divisive figure? Is it too much like the old style that we maybe had with Neil Lennon? Well, again, let's just go back to his record. I think his record, his yeah. managerial record, speaks for itself. And you know, if, if I was to throw this out there without anybody checking online. Give me a player that he developed. Tell me the name of a player that he developed. And I can't think of one. Someone out there might disagree and give us a few examples. But we are getting to the realms now, uh, Lawrence, of we're expecting the director of football to be announced. Will we wait until the summer to announce the, the new manager? Do we need to announce it now with one of the other variances uh, of making that announcement being the season ticket? renewals are, are um, almost upon us. Yeah, I think we need to announce it before season ticket renewals. Uh, with Keane, was it Dalia was going to come in as his number two? Mm. You know, uh, Ronnie was a good coach, developed players. How would you have felt back then, Lon? Sorry to, to butt in. If that had happened back then, what would your, your feelings have been after Neil Lennon left first time round and we brought in Ronnie Dyla? I think Keane's stock was higher anyway. You know, it's 10 years since he's managed. I know, I know he's been assistant to Martin O'Neill and Paul Lambert, but 10 years is a long time to get out of the game. Out of club football, isn't it? Mm, I, I think so. was higher there. And it could inspire players better. You know, the players that come in at the first team will never really have seen Keane play. Whereas back then, they would have had kind of a respect for him out of having seen him play. That they may, maybe today's young crop won't have. But yeah... Keane and Dale are definitely more exciting than Keane coming in now. It would have been then. Uh, and I think it's who's going to get... Keane's going to have to get funded, isn't he? As you touched on, you can't see him Absolutely. There. So mm-hmm. what level of funding is going to, going to be available? There's a lot of positions needing filled. Do we change the way we, we bring players in? Can we look at bringing them in with the promise of saying, well, if we're going to sell you to the APL, your own percentage of transfer fee, something like that, because I think Kid would want EPL level players, and I'm not too sure how we would be able to afford them or fund it. Here's one because when, when you're sitting here on the Axon Bulletin and you're trying to play devil's advocate a lot of the time, uh, Natasha, and you know, Lawrence and mm-hmm. I haven't had a fallen out for a while. Um, I'm looking at some of the comments coming through, no way, Keen, that seems to be. That seems to be really the, the overriding feeling amongst the Celtic fan base. Yep. But one thing that I, I've certainly been critical of, and I think we're still seeing the uh, effects of this, is a drop in standards. Now, we've got a few points coming in saying that we would get rid of... Here we go. We'll get rid of one dinosaur. Thanks, Bernadette, mm. for joining us on YouTube for another no thanks. So if I was to play devil's advocate, what I would say is, well, we've complained about the, the drop in standards, Natasha. We know that Brennan yep. Rogers came in um, maybe to a lesser degree, Ronnie Dyla had tried to change the culture of the club and maybe wasn't as successful at doing it. 
But Brennan Rodgers came in and done that, and it seems as though that's all been torn up in the last 18 months under the tutelage of Neil Lennon. I don't think that side of things would be accepted by Roy Keane. I, I don't think the standards yeah. being set, that's something that, yeah, we might look upon him as being a di- dinosaur out of touch, out of the game for a decade, but he certainly wouldn't allow the standards to drop to a point where we're watching the game again at the weekend and the game's finished by 60 minutes because we've got no legs. Mm. You know. Yeah, that's... That's exactly it, Paul, and that's the same concern that I've had all season. And you're right that perhaps this would address it. How often do we say, you know, how many of them look uninterested? And you point that finger at, you know, players like Edward, and you say, you know, why aren't they up for this game? And then you've got the Glasgow Derby at the weekend, you know, with the incentive of stopping them going a full league season unbeaten, and they still don't look up for it. You know, like you say, in 60 minutes, you could almost tell it was going to be a draw. There was no drive, there was no passion, there was no effort. And that could probably be levelled at the majority of the team. Now, an appointment like Roy Keane wouldn't let that happen, surely. But then, if anyone was going to be able to get that squad fired up for a 10-in-a-row season, surely it was going to be Neil Lennon. So they didn't respond to that tactic. They didn't respond to Lennon's ways. So why would they respond to Keane's? And it touches, again, for me, on this idea of you know a modern player. And that's just not the sort of management they look for anymore. Now, of course, our squad is going to be very different next season and it's a different group of players. And who knows, maybe perhaps they will react to that style because we don't know who they are yet. Um, but I think we are seeing the, you know, this trend of, of modern player and for some reason they are not responding to, to old school tactics. Um, and for me, my concern is that Keane would just bring more of that in. Mm. No, this is the concern. I'm, I'm thinking back to some of the incidents um, when he was a manager or even an assistant where he's turning up at players' houses um, because they, they couldn't get out their gates. Uh, there was a problem with, with electronic gates and they couldn't make it to training. Um, or even the, the late Liam Miller you know, being banished when Kino was his manager uh, because he was late for training too often. That kind of thing, I'm absolutely, I'm absolutely up for that. I think that's a side of the game yeah. that we need, we need to be absolutely all over. But then when it gets to the tactical side of it, that's when I think the modern footballer Natasha just switches mm-hmm. off to someone who mm-hmm. doesn't give them the game plan. You know, doesn't give mm-hmm. them that uh, tactical um, overview that they would be used to, even at academy football at yeah. PSG or Man City. And they've yeah. had players coming from both those academies. Now, Kevin Graham comes in with size nines. We'd rather have kept Lennon. Um, <laughs> I'm going to ask you, Lawrence, uh, if indeed this was to happen, would it be uh, an upgrade on Neil Lennon? Here's, here's the question. I think it depends who comes along, alongside him. I don't think we can look at the Keen stand himself. Who's his team going to be? Is it, if it's going to be Keen... John Kennedy and Gavin Strachan I would have said so but then again I don't think Keane would stand for having his backroom pick from or I think he would demand a higher standard so mm. but if, it, if, if it's just uh, yeah we need to look at is, is the managerial team how are they going to perform and I think that's part of the, the reason kind of, you know it's came out Tommy Johnston and a few other players that Lenny Watt then didn't get in mm-hmm. we know it didn't work the three of them together Uh Surely we wouldn't do the, do the same again, but again, I don't think he would uh, stand for that. I, I think he's going to have ha- had an eye on it. It's, it's, any manager's come in is going to know the, the problems of what they've been at Celtic. Mm. And, he, and he'll kind of, I think that's one of the parameters that any manager's going to have is going to say, well, 
I want to say on who my assistants are and my coaching staff is. You've got to. You've got to. Now, the thing is, I'm not backing a move for Roy Keane. Let's make that pretty clear. But I do feel that uh, Dermot Desmond does have an itch that he needs to scratch when it comes to Keno as the Celtic manager and I have felt that for some time so we'll see how this one develops but it does take us on to um, the rebuild and the big story today is that Stephen Glass will be announced as Aberdeen's manager later on today and it's expected that his assistant is going to be none other than Scott Brown now I think um, this is an interesting point from Anthony Patrick Aiken who's commenting on YouTube, uh, and he says Scott completely laughed off a coaching role just weeks ago. He did. He was asked a question, mm-hmm. wasn't he, on Sky Sports around uh, whether or not he would be up for taking over on an interim basis or even permanently from Neil Lennon. But the, the suggestion is he is going to take up the assistant manager's role at Aberdeen and he will continue um, a playing role as well. Natasha, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, I've said it before and we've had the debate on here before. You know, and there's there's both sides of the fence, but I can't help thinking it's a big mistake to lose Scott Brown going into next season. I fully appreciate that, you know, at 36 years old, his input on the pitch is likely to be more limited next season. But, you know, taking his performance on Sunday into account, you know, there's certainly signs that he can still have an influence in important games. Um, but even if we put the debate about his performance levels, to, if it's what we need or not, to aside, you know, let's acknowledge the presence he has off the pitch. Mm. That, for me, is going to be very difficult, if not impossible, to replace. And like we've touched on, we know that Celtic are about to go through a massive period of turmoil and rebuild and a steady presence like Brown, who could help integrate, you know, both new players and, you know, even new coaches into the club would have been vital. You know, one concern for me is that, you know, he has inside knowledge of what's happening. He can see what's coming in and he can see the route ahead and the direction the club is heading in. And he wants out, you know, and that that concerns me a bit. Um, you know, of course, you know, we wish he might decide that it's time for him to go. We would wish mm. him all the best. But it's hard to imagine, you know, Celtic without Scott Brown. Someone actually pointed out to me last night that Larson was at the club for seven years. And that seemed like a lifetime. Brown has been here for 14 now. I mean, that just shows the magnitude of his contribution. It's hard to get your head around. And like I've touched on, there's some younger Celtic fans who don't know Celtic without Scott Brown. Um, And it's it's impossible to think of. Perhaps it's the right time. um, But I feel... It's a real shame if we can't give him the send-off he deserves this season. There, there has been a feeling. I remember he scored uh, midweek away from home, Kilmarnock, I think it was, and it was just the reaction to that goal wasn't one of, of mm. delight that you would expect. It was th- mm. There was a grimace to that, um, even when he walked off the park and, and Neil Lennon yeah. went up to him. So there's obviously been... It's been a hard season for someone like Scott Brown. My biggest concern is there's been occasions during the history of Celtic where we've let too many experienced players go um, all at the one time or within the proximity uh, of each other and some of the examples I was thinking about this morning anybody who's, who has the absolute privilege to ever speak to a Lisbon Lion and by the way happy birthday Bertie Old 83 years young today um, absolutely brilliant uh, Bertie uh, we'll have a wee chat about him as well Lawrence but you know a lot of these players reckoned that Jockstein broke up the Lisbon Lions too early too soon it was a difficult situation because he had the quality street kids coming through this raft of talent but you know 
Bobby Murdoch played his last game for Celtic age 29, for example. I think John Hughes was 28 or 29 before he went to Crystal Palace. And, you know, there was one criticism that some people had, if you could ever criticise Jock Steen, was that he broke the team up too soon. Other examples I can remember, the centenary kind of period and afterwards, Lawrence will recall that we did um, allow Roy Aiken, uh, Tommy Burns, Billy Stark, Frank McAvenny, Mark McGee, uh, Mick McCarthy, players with not necessarily big experience at Celtic, but huge experience in the game. And they probably all left within about 18 months of each other. And it left a gaping hole in the Celtic side, which actually that team never, ever recovered from. Uh, there were other aspects to what was going on behind the scenes um, regarding their downfall. But even more recently, you know, le- losing players like Lustig, Craig Gordon, Sinclair, all, all within the realms, or even Johnny Hayes, an experienced player, albeit not all that experience was at Celtic. And that's something that it, it's very difficult to replace. So we had this conversation on, on the bulletin last week around the experience that you would keep at the club. And I thought Scott Brown was a given. You're then looking at James Forrest, Callum McGregor. They're, they're the three that I don't think we can lose. For that um, continuity, you know, moving into a, a whole raft of new players coming into the dressing room, and you've got to have the, the hardcore, if you like. And then the other ones are questioned, um, where pe- players like Lee Griffiths, Nier Beaton, they're the other two um, who people would probably question. But I didn't think Brown should have been left to go, and it's not been confirmed yet, but it's looking highly likely. Um, when you look at him, Lawrence, the contribution he's made, like Natasha said, he's in the 500 club. Only 12 players have played 500 or more games for Celtic, competitive games. He's actually played over 600. Um, you know, the trophies that he's won, uh, talismanic captain. I always felt that to have him around the, the training ground and in the dressing room, even if he was only going to be playing 20, 25 games a season, I think that would be very important, but it looks unlikely now. Uh, Lawrence, how big a loss is he going to be? I think it's going to be huge. Uh, maybe it comes down to Scott. Maybe he's asked, what's my role next season? You know, who's going to be... You know, If you're going to be working there, he's going to, going to want to know who his boss is going to be. So maybe he's uh, appraised the situation and the fact that the new gaffer doesn't see a role that Scott would think he was worthy of. Maybe mm. to say, well, you're an under-18 coach or something. And Scott's well, I can get, go out and get an assistant manager's job with Aberdeen. And obviously management's something he wants to go into. Maybe that yeah. more fits what Scott's looking for. Certainly, you know, it seems a strange decision to let him go, but it could be, you know, the new manager's been decided and he's picked his team and Scott's not part of it. No, Stephen Ray comes in. Welcome back to the show. Stephen, you are watching on YouTube. If you are watching on YouTube and you haven't subscribed already, please do so. We are just about uh, to catch Aberdeen in the league table of YouTube subscribers, so we're just a few followers behind Aberdeen. Scott Brown is a great servant, but his time is done. Brown has struggled in Europe and against Rangers in the last two years. We can't keep going back to the guy who's done it in the past. Now, what I would say about that point is whilst he's there, we may be complacent in finding his replacement, and I don't think we ever have found his replacement. There's been a few players brought in and we thought, would be a Scott Brown replacement. Um, but one of them, i.e. Ishmael Osoro, we might have actually started playing him out of sheer fortune than better than, than the actual plan. Um, I don't think that was by design that he was thrown in against Lille uh, midweek in a dead rubber European game. Uh, do we have his replacement at Celtic Park already, Natasha? 
Well, if we do, it would be Sorrel. Um, he's probably the one that's shown more than anyone that he's capable of coming in and filling that role and I'd like to see more of him and if it is true that you know Brown is moving on at the end of the season which seems likely then we have to play Sorrow for the rest of the season we have to assess whether Sorrow is the right man to replace Brown in that role Mm. and we need to give him the game time because if he's not then we need to find that person urgently in the summer Um, so in terms of the position he plays on the pitch perhaps it's Sorrow but in terms of what else he brings to the role, I really don't see anyone else who's going to be capable of filling that. Like we've touched on before, we've lost those sort of characters in the dressing and we've lost you know, players like Lustig and Hayes. I don't see anyone coming up behind them and Scott Brown who can replace it. Callum McGregor, you know, I think, is, is good. I don't see him as a natural captain. Um, probably the closest we can get in terms of, of leadership on the pitch is Ayer. But again, I've said before, I'd love to keep Ayer. I don't see it happening. Um, so while we might be able to replace Brown's role on the pitch with Sorrow, what's going to be much harder, if not impossible, to replace is you know his leadership qualities and his captain qualities, both on and off the pitch. Mm. Who would be the captain? That, that's a big question. I think people generally automatically go for the default. Oh, well, it's Callum McGregor, he's the vice captain. Is he the captain to lead Celtic? Should Scott Brown leave, do you think, Natasha? I think he I think he will be, um, simply because as you know, as the squad stands going into next season, I don't see any other option. Um I can't point to anyone else who we currently have and um, who I don't think is going to leave that it could be. So I think it is going to end up being McGregor. Um and you know you just have to look at the fact that McGregor is doing all the post match interviews. You know, he's the one going in front of the cameras after every mm-hmm. game. He's the one speaking on behalf of the club, the players. And it's, it's just showing signs to me that they are lining him up for this. Um, when Brown goes, it will be handed over to McGregor. So I think it will be McGregor. Whether he's suitable for the role, I'm not entirely sure. Um, he doesn't have that sort of leadership and that sort of presence on the pitch that I would look for. Having Brown on the pitch at times is like having a second coach. Mm. Um, it's like having one of the coaches in the middle of the park. McGregor's not that. And I've seen people say he's not that yet, but he's not that young either. You know, what's McGregor? Probably around 28. You know, he's not that young. Yeah, yeah he, should, he should have that sort of um, leadership quality in the middle of the park if he is going to be our next captain. But I think it will be him um, and it will be a massive loss of a presence like Brown. Mm. No, you're, you're right. I've never thought of McGregor as a natural captain. And there are players who have been captain at Celtic in the past and it's maybe uh, affected their performances. You know, Paul McStay springs to mind. I, I never thought, you know, McStay was comfortable being the captain. Yeah, he deserved it because of the, the length of time that he had been at the club. Um, but I think the, the greatest example is when we signed Paul Elliott. And even um, the late Billy McNeil said this in one of his books, he wished he had made Elliott the captain for those two years that, that Elliott was at, was at Celtic just because of his leadership qualities. I asked Paul Elliott that on a Celtic state of mind and he says, it didn't matter if I was a captain, I, I, I represented myself like a captain anyway. Um, but, you know, Callum McGregor seems to be uh, the one who would take over. I guess uh, the bigger question would be, Lawrence, could Celtic at this stage really afford to lose him in respect to the fact that we've already lost a very powerful CEO um, and a legendary figure in the manager, Neil Lennon? Can we afford to lose a third big leader from the club? For me, I, 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 would, I would keep him, but 
yeah, I, I think we're going to spend, you know, if it's Keane, it's going to be spending money. I think it'd be, it'd be buying a captain rather than, because I, I think I agree with both of you. I don't really see Callum as the captain. Perhaps Chris, yes, but then keep him moving on. But, uh, you know, if we're signing players, we're definitely bereft of leaders. So we need to look at the players we're bringing in. We need to make sure they've got those leadership qualities. So perhaps we'll be signing someone in to take that leadership role on. That's what I think is going to happen. The big thing as well, a few of the names, uh, a few of the commenters actually is uh, are coming in to remind us once again that John McGinn was that replacement. Yeah, absolutely he was. And every time you see him playing for club and country, that, that is a, a bleak reminder of a player that we could have had for about three million quid. And then you look at Patrick Clamalla, a player who we invested three and a half million pounds in. Uh, that's very frustrating. And of course, we've already spoken about the recruitment aspect of Celtic. There's a few people coming in asking about various players who are maybe on the fringes. So when we're looking at um, Sorrow, for example, Natasha, I agree with you. And I actually said this before the Rangers game. I thought that there are certain players who should be playing every game between now and the end of the season, Sorrow being one of them. Because let's plan for next season. Let's look and see, has Sorrow got what it takes between now and the end of the campaign? And the other two that I would throw in there would be Albion Ayeti and uh, Vasias Barkas. Because you've got to decide, are these two players, are, is the £10 million investment getting written off? Uh, you know, Because if we were selling those players, you're going to get half what we've paid for them. Um, so let's see if there's a player in there at least one out of the two and let's give them game time now that the new fixtures have been announced do you reckon Kennedy's going to do that or is it going to be um, continue as is which seems to be the way so far since John Kennedy come in I hope so. Um, I hope to see him, um, you know, give these players a chance because we need to. We need to assess the squad and decide what we need in the summer. Um, for me, there's absolutely no point in playing some of the of the lone players if we have no plans on keeping them for next season. Um, if we're still considering them, by all means, do play them. But there's no point playing players that we know won't be here. Play a Yeti and Klamala up front instead of Edward. Um, we know he won't be here and he's not particularly offering us very much. Let's see Sorrow and Turnbull in the middle of the park. Um, you know, give give these players a chance so that we, and the fringe players so we can properly assess what we've got in the squad and what we need over the summer. For me, I think I am a bit concerned that St- that Kennedy's just going to look to steady the ship till the end of the season. Um, he's not really going to take a chance to stamp his own style on it yet. Um, he just wants to get to the end of the season. Well, we saw from some of his game management at the weekend, he looks like he just wants to try and get to the end of the season without um, without any defeats um, and not change too much of what's been going on just to try and keep things steady and keep everyone on side. But you know, for me, has to seriously be considering, you know, giving the fringe players a chance to, to show what they can do and to decide whether, like you say, we are going to write them off, um, particularly the ones that we could perhaps still try and recoup some money for. Um, I don't think we're ever going to get the return that we paid out on players like Ayeti or Klamala or Barkas, but it might be that we just need to cut our losses, take what we can for them and use it as part of the rebuild. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Now, uh, there is a, a point coming through from Andrew Taylor on YouTube. Six players downed tools because they wanted out. Um, this comes on the back of comments made by David Lowe, who obviously is very close to Neil Lennon. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying you take what uh, David said there with a pinch of salt. What I would say is, though, um, if it's coming from Neil Lennon directly, it really is, you know, 
Neil Lennon's blamed everybody bar himself for Celtic's failure this season. Um, so turn around and, and blame the players. You know, you've already blamed podcasts, you've blamed the media, you've blamed the government, uh, the referees. Uh, you know, you've got to blame someone, I guess. And you know, the six players that have been kind of named uh, or people were speculating around to include players like um, you know Chris Iyer and that. I'm just not buying that because there's no way Chris I are down tools this season. Um, I, I think a Yeti down tools if anyone um, more than than Chris Iyer. Uh, so yeah, again, I, I know that he appeared on a podcast and he and he said that, and I know that that information, or I would suspect that that information is coming from um, the source himself, uh, you know Neil Lennon. But I don't buy it. I just think it's yet another excuse for his own inadequacies this season. Uh, and it's not another op- opportunity for me just to, to stick the boot into Neil Lennon um, you know because you're looking at that squad and another point comes in uh, Maravchik 25 his replacement in the team and his captain was available 18 months ago at 28 Victor Wanyama uh, we blast from the past Victor Wanyama we probably could have got a good 3-4 years out of him um, but it looks as though that and various other ships have sailed um, there's going to be a huge amount of players leaving leaving Celtic but before we talk about them Lawrence uh, I mentioned earlier Bertie Old 83 I don't want to just skim past that I mean Bertie uh, is a a living legend uh, an iconic Celtic player a Lisbon line Uh, what I find interesting I remember reading newspaper reports uh, archived newspaper reports around the time that Jock Steen left as Celtic manager and we announced Billy McNeil and you know, Celtic fans of the time says McNeil was the only guy that could ever have taken over from Jock Steen. But the other two uh, players who are in the the mix uh, to become Celtic manager were none other than Paddy Crerant uh, and Bertie Old. Um, do, do you think Bertie Old would ever have been a, a decent manager at Celtic? Did he manage Thistle? Thistle and Hibs. Thistle and Hibs? Yep. Well, potentially, he had a good squad. Uh, but saying that, you know, I, I think he was up against Billy, he was never getting a job. But yeah, he, he had the potential. I, I, I seem to remember him being at Hibs, but not too much about his managerial record. So I, I haven't looked up what he's done at Hibs or, or Thistle. But, if you so. type him in with Hibs or Thistle, you normally see him wearing like a boy jacket and smoking a big cigar so he certainly had to look about him Natasha but how important is it for us to celebrate uh, the Lions because with every passing year obviously they are getting older I mean 83 Bertie is now Oh, absolutely. And what a wonderful man he is. Um, I've had the pleasure of meeting him a few times and, you know, the energy and the charisma he has about the place is just just brilliant. Um, I remember one time as we were leaving Celtic Park, he'd come out he'd come out the front door and there was a large crowd, you know, young people, older people waiting to speak to Bertie and, you know, have their photo taken with him. And he had time for absolutely everyone. He stood there until every single picture was taken, um, talking away, keeping the conversation going. Um, and, you know, only after, you know, a significant period of this, he pointed out that his grandson was actually working the Celtic shop and had finished his shift 45 minutes earlier and was waiting on his granddad Bertie to get in the car so he could take him home. But Bertie was too busy speaking to the Celtic fans outside the stadium. Um, and that just that just sums Bertie up, really. Um, a wonderful man and an absolute asset to the club. No, you're right. I remember we had um, Tommy Burns' daughter on, uh, Jenna was on the 
the Axholm podcast about a year and a half ago. And Tommy used to always get a hard time for being late for everything. But she explained that her dad would never walk past a Celtic fan who wanted to talk to him. And that's why he was always late. So he couldn't go anywhere without Celtic fans crowding around him to speak to the, the, the late, great Tommy Burns. Um, and that's why he was always late uh, for everything. I think the only thing he got he got to in time is mass. So that that was interesting as well. But yeah, Bertie Old, an absolute living legend. Happy birthday to Bertie. Now, the Derby aftermath, you spoke uh, prior to the game, uh, very well on football focus. Natasha, what, what's your over, overall view? It was a bit of a damp squib at the weekend, was it not? I was disappointed, to be honest. Um, it was a very familiar story of failing to, you know, capitalise on the chances and capitalise on you know a period of dominance um, and our inability to defend a set piece and it's the same thing we've been saying all season and it's come back to bite us again um, you know so for for all the dominance we perhaps had for you know a good 20-25 minutes in the first half towards the, the start of the second half it's that failure to be clinical enough that's absolutely killing us mm-hmm. it's the decision making constantly in the final third from, from players like Edward and Christie is really letting you down and that's something we've not been able to address all season um, then you go ahead and give away a stupid corner and you can't defend a set piece again issues we've seen all season and the current setup have been unable to, you know, to fix that. And it's frustrating, like we've touched on it earlier in the show today, by 60 minutes you knew the game was was kind of over. And terrible man, game management um, by Kennedy for me sort of put pay to any suggestion that we would go on to win the game. You just have to look at the fact that Gerard had made four subs by the time we'd got around to it. You know, if Kennedy's subs, you know, if those 89th minute subs were with the intention of winning the game, they should have been made 20 minutes earlier. That's a defensive move, bringing subs on in the 89th minute. Um, so for me, it suggests that he had more interest in not losing the game than winning it. And from the position that we were in and some of the chances that we've been creating, you've got to push on and win that. We've got to try and, you know, stop them going unbeaten all season. And it was weak for me. The last 20 minutes sort of summed up our season. We didn't go for it nearly enough and we didn't show anything like the conviction that was required to go on and win that game. So similar to, to you know, what we've seen recently, similar to the last Derby game, yeah, just very disappointing, really. That lack of conviction in front of goal is something that has been frustrating all season. The last couple of games, 40-odd shots at goal, one goal. I mean, you think of various different um, opportunities. For example, Callum McGregor breaks down the left. You know, instinctively, you would expect him to cut it back. He's got two men waiting in the box just to, to slot it in. He goes for the shot. But th- there's a couple of things that I would point out, as well as the, the fact that we have lost that natural ability to carve teams open. Um, you know, we've seen it a couple of times this season, didn't we? We've seen it in the, the opening game of the season against Hamilton. We've seen it up at Ross County. But very, very few and far between have those performances been evident. And when you look at the last two games against Rangers, it's not as though we've been completely dominated by a team who on those days were, were far and ahead a greater football club than, than, than Celtic from what I've seen. I mean, the first, the first 60, 65 minutes at Ibrox and the 1-0 defeat in, the, in January, you know, Celtic were arguably the better side. I think us three certainly would agree with that. Um, and then at the weekend there, when we go a goal up, you're thinking we're going to get a second, you know, and then that 
that decision by John Joe Kenny, who's played at a, a high level both in England and in Germany, was unreal. And I, I started wondering. I mean, we've we've had the issues in defence, and after the game, I read out the defence, including the goalie, and of the five, I'd, I'd keep one of them, and it was Stephen Welsh. He's the only one of the five that I'd keep, and I'd be looking to bring in two centre halves. Well. You know, actually, I, I'm, I'm looking at Ayer and I'm, I'm expecting to lose him. I mean, if I could keep him, I would. Uh, so I'm expecting us to bring in two centre-halves so Welsh will just be the backup. But that shows you the extent of the rebuild here. We really have painted ourselves into a corner, particularly when you look at the full-backs. Look, Salt on the left, John Joe Kenny on the right. We're not going to buy any of these two players, which leaves us currently with Anthony Ralston as our only right-back and Greg Taylor as our only left-back. Natasha, it's, it's a massive, a massive it's job, like isn't it? it? And, mm. you know, you can realistically look at the Champions League qualifiers, and I know Tony was on, on Sunday telling us exactly how many days it was, which is a frighteningly short number, but you can look at going into the Champions League qualifiers with a back four of potentially Ralston, Welsh, who knows who the other centre half is going to be? And Taylor, mm. maybe maybe the other centre half Henry if we bring him back. That's a very concerning backline, and the fact that we've not addressed that yet is worrying. It just shows the magnitude of the job that's needed done in the summer. We've struggled, you know, in the past to bring in one good centre half in a transfer window. Um, just look at the the loan move for Duffy before that plenty of centre-halves who haven't worked out. So if we've struggled before to find one centre-half in a transfer window, finding two that are going to go straight into the squad in time for these important qualifiers in the beginning of next season where we really need to hit the ground running, that's a very good, difficult task. And I hope that if it is Harkin coming in, that he has these names on a sheet lined up and he's made perhaps communications and the shortlist has, has started. I hope that that is underway because we are certainly running out of time and it is worrying me. No, it's, it's a huge concern for me. You're looking at that situation with the, the centre-half uh, pairing there of Ayer and Welsh. And to be fair to Welsh, Welsh, I think he's one of very few high points of the season. I'm looking at Jack Hendry, obviously, in the Scotland squad for the upcoming three games uh, that Scotland will be playing. Uh, he's good enough to play for Scotland, but he's not good enough to even be a backup at Celtic currently. Um, Lawrence, when you're looking at that assessment period, you know, talking about the first game, the first qualifier... It's not something we can write off. I mean, we've spoken about the fact that we want to win the league next season anyway, but uh, the added incentive of potentially going straight into the Champions League group stages. But you don't want to be going into yet another Champions League campaign next season. You know, having a makeshift squad and then hope that you qualify then by the players in. Because we've seen it time and time again, it doesn't work. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's where you're going to develop your players as well. With the the tougher test, isn't it? Make them better players for the future. Uh, we know it's a huge overhaul. I think Paul Angoli is going to come back, though, isn't he? He's uh, come back. I kind of put him. Yeah. I put him in the. Um, I put Paul Angoli in the same kind of bracket as in Cham. You know, there will be a period where they officially will be back at Celtic, but I don't think they'll be sticking around around for uh, for that long. I wouldn't have thought anyway. Yeah, I can't see him staying, but you know, some you know. It's a COVID breach. Some players get three COVID breaches and uh, the, the, the other superstars in Scotland. But uh, yeah, no, I, th- I think those two are definitely off. It, it's a whole, whole rebuilding job. But yeah, Harkin, as Natasha said, 
if he's coming in, he'll have been doing his work in the background. You know, anyone that does any kind of due diligence where they get a list of players, contract end dates, who's mm. going to be there, what, what a new squad looks like, they'll know about Bongoli and Champ, you know, probably not going to be there. So, Harkin, you know, when he's taken a job, would have wanted all this information, even just for a paper exercise for himself, just to say, right, what's in front of me? Uh, how can I get ahead of this job? How can I be successful? What do I need to bring in? How can I use my contacts? And uh, So, yeah, anyone that's doing any kind of due diligence and coming in will be some way down, even if it's only on, on paper and kind of unofficial chats to agents of players. Mm. There would need to be, Lawrence. I mean, I was surprised that one person commented at the weekend, Natasha, that Celtic only need two quality players and everything's going to be all right. Um, and then I started going through that squad. I mean, the defence is going to be completely depleted. You're then looking at a scenario where we're losing Scott Brown and some of the other players like in Cham and Roderick won't be great losses to the, the first team but to the larger kind of squad they will be because these are international players in Roderick's case or vastly experienced players in, in, in Cham's case who you know it would actually take quite a bit to replace a player like that you know th- this is the thing if you buy two uh, centre halves what do you get for five million quid these days Albin Ayeti Bacas I mean is that your five million pound signing exactly I, the investment needed in that squad is absolutely massive you know it's immense I'd, talking about needing two players I you need significantly more than that um, we're looking at playing five-a-side football next season with the numbers that we're talking about leaving so I don't think it's you know any exaggeration to say that we need neither 10 players than two players um, and if they're going to be of the quality that we need to slot right back into the squad and hit the ground running next year, they're going to have to come at a big investment. Mm. Whether Celtic are going to match that investment during the summer remains to be seen. But, you know, a few players, you know, two, three, four players of the level of a Yeti isn't going to cut it. And that's looking at, you know, £20 million of expenditure at least to get those sort of players in. So, obviously, we will be looking to recoup the sum of that money through the sale of the bigger assets like Edward and Ayer. But there's still going to be significant investment needed to bolster the numbers of the squad, if anything. And the last thing I want to see us do is simply buying players at that £2 million value to make up the numbers. We need to be really clever about the sort of way we manage our investment and the players that we bring in. And hopefully that is something that Harkin can bring to the role. Mm. That that level of you know, player... You know, but we're trying to do another Virgil van Dijk, weren't we? Time and time again, bring someone in for two and a half million, sell them for a massive profit. Not a big enough profit in Virgil's case, as it happened. But that no longer works. I mean, yes, Sorrow has been, I, I would guess, a signing that has worked out. But we would maybe have to review that at the end of next season to see if he's had that impact over an entire campaign. Turnbull looks to be an absolute star. There's question marks around whether or not he can actually play for 90 minutes. He seems to get taken off every game around about the 70-minute mark. So that's Mm -hmm. a bit of a concern. Some people within the comments are looking at players who are already playing in domestic game. You know, which players, which four or five players from the league would you bring in? Are they going to improve you sufficiently to actually not only win the league, but uh, start to make inroads in Europe? I would, I would really question that. You know, even the, the better of those players, would Lewis Ferguson come and improve the Celtic team? 
that's a, that's a question that you know some people would say yes. I'm not so sure he would. Um, I've heard Nisbet Hibbs. I don't think Nisbet Hibbs could make that step up. Who who other what other players have been mentioned? Doig at Hibbs. Yeah, he's a he's a cracking young player. Would he improve the Celtic side? He might be a, an investment for the future. Um, but again, we don't have a raft of young players coming in who are first team ready. That much has been proven by the games in January, and that is a is a really sad indictment on how we've been so focused on the here and now that we've, we've forgotten to develop half a dozen players who should be ready to come into the squad and the ones who have come in you know Welsh brilliant I think excellent a, a really good success this season and a very poor season uh, we had a conversation uh, on the WhatsApp group the other day about Mikey Johnson he comes back in from a long layoff through injury. Has he been mismanaged? Because he now looks like the shadow of the player he looked a couple of seasons ago. Is he going to make an impact next season? Because if he doesn't, Natasha, then he won't be at Celtic Park. This is like the last chance saloon for a lot of these players as well. It is, it is. And I'd like to see Johnston under a different manager. Um, you know, when you talk about him breaking through a season or two back, um, he was promising. He looked like exactly the sort of player we needed. We're lacking creativity on the wings, as we have been this season. We're lacking, you know, someone who can be an out-and-out winger. And, you know, without making, you know, too big a comparison perhaps replacing that sort of player like McGeady that we, we never really managed to do like a Patrick Roberts type player that's the sort of role I thought Johnson could come into and I really thought he could develop into a player at that level on the showings this season, albeit he's been out for injury for a while, but since he's came back he's shown nothing like that mm. I think it's there somewhere, you know, maybe it just needs tapped into a bit more and maybe, you know, a different management coaching setup could get that out of him because I'd, I'd like to see him get another chance, um, I'd like to see more of him this season um, and I'd like to see him developed under under a different manager and kept around for next season because I really think he does have that potential um, we just need to manage him properly no, and he's so adaptable. I mean, he can play right, left and centre. He's played under Brendan Rodgers. He's played under Neil Lennon. He played a lot of games under Neil Lennon prior to the injury uh, where obviously Lenny uh, infamously uttered a few words to him live on television. He didn't seem to recover from that injury uh, properly. But, you know, I, I was saying players like him, Soro, Ayeti, Barkas, they've got to feature between now and the end of the season. As we look ahead to the new campaign, it's incredible that we're looking at a situation where we're going to have a new CEO, a new manager. Um, we're going to have a director of football in place. Nicky Hammond will be out the door, I would expect and we may also have a new captain so some other comments coming in on that uh, subject Chris Cummings comes in to say the armband weighs McGregor down I do get that, a sense of that uh, someone disagreed with me the last time I, I mentioned it I do get the sense um, your namesake Ashley Meikle there Natasha McGregor will be uh, captain as he is the only option and again I think that says a lot about the squad that we've got. You should have two or three people. In the past, you could have given a captain's armband to Craig Gordon. You know, Mika Lustig. She doesn't often agree with me there, um, but notice my sister popping up in the chat to agree on McGregor. Um, I agree that he is the only option, given that we've we've got rid of of those players like Lustig and Gordon and Hayes, who would naturally fit into the leader slot. But it's true. It's concerning. And like you've touched on, a new captain, a new manager, a new CEO... A new squad, it's far too much change for some one season. Um, I don't like that they've let it get to this. There's clearly been signs that this is coming. Um, and to have it all just fall off a cliff and need such a big change over the periods of one summer is too much for me. And I think there are concerns 
looking ahead to next season that this period of transition, given the amount that needs done, just isn't going to be possible within the sort of time frame that we've got. No. But I hope I'm wrong. It, I mean, going back to Anthony Haggerty's uh, comments, you can't do it in 100 days. And, and the days are ticking down and, and you certainly couldn't do it in a hundred days um, when you're winning nine league titles in a row when you're winning treble after treble then I guess as football fans you know we're probably all guilty of the fact that we, we become intoxicated by the success you don't really look under the surface for the deficiencies I think we've had concerns about the transfer uh, policy for a wee while it doesn't seem to have been uh, paying dividends as well as it has done in the past but one of the big things for me is the academy and the director of football that comes in has to really look at that um, I think in the past I got a, a tiny insight into how the academy works whereby you know it's a very slick operation but how many of those players are making 50 uh, plus appearances for Celtic's first team very very few uh, they make up the vast majority of lower league um, Scottish clubs and the pick of the bunch at the moment seem to be getting uh, you know, transferred out to the likes of Bayern Munich, Manchester City uh, Liverpool and others uh, Angelini will probably be the next one on his way, I'm, I'm hearing as well from our our pals at Clyde FC that UN02 um, is also just uh, completed a loan move. I, do, I hope that's how you pronounce his surname uh, to Clyde as well. And it's good that these young players are, are going out there, the likes of Luca Connell, are going out there and getting first team experience. But it may be too late. You know, by the time you're 18, 19, and so on, you know, you, the development that you require to be a Celtic player, uh, it may have passed you by. Uh, and that's a concern. So, a nice positive bulletin, uh, Natasha. I'm sure people will remind us that we've got to be positive on the Axon bulletin. But um, we don't have a captain for next season. We're going to have a new manager. We don't know who that is. Uh, a new director of football, a new CEO. Um, we're going to have to bring in about 12 players and hope that they all gel for the first kick of the ball in the Champions League. So what are we worried about? Easy as that. Perfect. And we've got less than 100 days to do it. <laughs> absolutely brilliant but regardless of all that we will be here on a daily basis uh, looking at the progress Celtic are making in all of the above it's been an absolute pleasure once again great comments coming in from Facebook Twitter and YouTube uh, we reminder to subscribe to us on YouTube as we chase down Aberdeen Football Club that's the official channel who are just above us in terms of subscribers all that's left for me to say once again on a Tuesday is thank you to Lawrence Connolly and to Natasha Meikle for joining Joining me on a Celtic state of mind. What's up, guys? This is MMA fighter Clay Guida, and I'm not afraid of anyone or anything, but losing my hair was an entirely different kind of fight. So if you're suffering from hair loss like I was, then you got to check out my boys at Bosley. Pound for pound, they are the champions of hair restoration. That's why I turned to Bosley to get my hair back. The entire Bosley team was so professional and kind from start to finish. All it took was a simple one-day procedure, and I was on my way back to rocking my full hair again. So take it from me. Don't wait if you are thinning or receding. 
I'm so thrilled with my results, I just wish I would have went to Bosley sooner. It's time to finally knock out hair loss because the best is yet to come. Check out Bosley today. When MMA fighter Clay Guida was losing his hair, he trusted Bosley to get it back. Now it's your turn. Get a free information kit, plus get a $250 off gift card when you text SCORE to 203203. That's text SCORE to 203203. Don't wait. Text SCORE to 203203. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Sports Social Podcast Network.